title of my message is simply this, Your Road to Emmaus. Last year at Easter, after the musical, I shared a real brief message on this, and I wanted to share in a little bit more detail. And the title is Your Road to Emmaus, not The Road to Emmaus. And some of you have probably never heard of Emmaus. Some of you are familiar with the story. But to give us a little context again, we're going back to what for us was Easter Sunday. For them, it was the first day of the week, the morning that Jesus was to be raised from the dead. Only they didn't get that. But on that early Sunday morning, we know Mary and Mary and another lady or two, we're not sure how many exactly, had went to the tomb early in the morning to prepare uh, Jesus' body because they didn't have time the night before. And they were a little concerned about how they were going to move this big stone in front of the tomb. But when they got there, the stone was already removed. They looked in the grave and the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And of course, you can only imagine, and I like to imagine, I can only imagine what they were thinking. Probably fear initially, who took Jesus' body? He's gone. But then an angel spoke to him. And this angel gave him a very clear word. He's not here, he is risen. And it didn't stop with just that. It actually gave them what I just referred to as a remember message. Remember when he told you about all this? Remember when he said he was going to be crucified, he was going to die, but on the third day he'd be raised from the dead? Do you remember? So these women had all of that information and that fresh, fresh remembering in them when they headed back to where the disciples were, the house that they were in. And they went into that house, and I can, I can again, only imagine can you, their excitement, or maybe their confusion, or maybe their wonderment. Uh, all I know is when they told the disciples what had happened, it says really clearly, they didn't believe them. They probably thought they were crazy. Well, Peter, and it appears that Peter and John had enough interest that they at least had ran to the tomb. And when they got to the tomb, it just simply says, they found out what the women had said really was the case. The tomb was empty. And they returned. So this is kind of the setting on that morning. And, and there were more than just the 11 disciples in that room and these women in the room. We don't know how many were there. But we know there were at least two more. Because in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, and I'm actually going to read quite a few verses. I'm going to read you the story. And then we're going to back up a little bit, look at some aspects of the story and see what we can learn from this experience that these disciples, these two disciples had on their road to Emmaus, and maybe see if we can't learn something about how we should maybe think and respond and act when on our road to Emmaus. We've all been there, even if you don't know what I'm talking about yet. The question when we're on that road to Emmaus is, what's the outcome going to be when we travel this road? What does that road look like? For us, I'm just going to throw some things out there. It could look different for each one of us, but it certainly could be when those times we're in real confusion. We don't understand what's going on, why this is happening, how we're going to get out of it. We don't understand why what we expected to happen didn't happen, so we're dealing with disappointment along with the confusion. Disillusionment. We had this grandiose idea, this grandiose plan, and all of a sudden it's gone. It's vaporized. We're disillusioned. It can be in our personal lives, it can be in our family life, it can be in our workplace, it can be in any area of our relationships. Times it's just frustration. It can turn into anger. It can turn into a whole sense of hopelessness because of the situation that we're in. The circumstances that are surrounding us. 
things that in many cases are so much out of our control, but at the same time, maybe not so much if we just knew how to respond correctly. Those times in our life, in our walks, where the darkness appears to be so dark, we can't even imagine that there is going to be a light of dawn in our life. Most all of us have been there, or you'll get there, and you're going to have your experience on that kind of road. It's inevitable, but it's not disastrous. It doesn't have to be. It's not supposed to be. These are the times when we discover and need to really know who God is and really, really, really trust him. Most of us, if we're Christians or have been for any length of time, we could say, yeah, we know who God is. We just sang about him some amazingly powerful words this morning. I trust him. I believe him. Believe in him. Believe he is who he says he is. And then we start going down that Emmaus road. And all of a sudden, everything becomes a little cloudy. It gets a little darker. And sometimes it gets really dark going down that road. What do we do? Can we really trust in God? Yes, we can. But do we? That's the question. So I'm going to read first the story. And it's not going to be up on the screen. So if you have your Bibles, it's in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. But otherwise, I just encourage you to listen to it as a true story that really did take place, realizing that these two people were disciples and they were in with those other 11 disciples. It says this, Now on that same day, meaning that Easter morning, now on that same day, the two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you're walking along? They stood still and their faces were downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these last three days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem all of Israel. And what is more, it is the third day. It's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us this morning. They went to the tomb early, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who told them that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But Jesus they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart you guys are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Did not the Christ, the Messiah, have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going to continue and go further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So Jesus went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread. And he broke it and gave thanks. And he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were open and they recognized who he was. And he disappeared from their sight. He vanished with recognition. They looked at each other and asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and the way he opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and they were saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon Peter. And then the the two of them told what had happened on their way to Emmaus and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Who were these two people? This is all we know about them. One of them, we don't even know his name. One was Cleopas. I keep saying we don't even know his name. We don't even know if he was a he. It may have been Cleopas and his wife. We don't know. It doesn't say. All we know is they seem to be totally random, insignificant people. Like you and me. And they're walking down this road. They call it a road. It was nothing more than a dirt path. Emmaus was seven miles from Jerusalem. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus stayed in Bethany. On Palm Sunday, he went a little ways down and over the last ridge down to Jerusalem. And then if you went out to Jerusalem further towards the sea, it's about seven miles, you come to Emmaus. And they're walking down this road. And we don't know a single, single thing more about these two people. What we do know about them is, in verse 17 it said, they were sad and gloomy, they were downcast. The verse said when Jesus walked up to them and asked what they were talking about, it says they just stopped. And we're sad. When you look at the verse before that and talking about their discussion, it makes reference to their discussion three different times with three different words. All different words, and they're all words. It's like when you and I are having a discussion about something we don't really know a whole lot about, but we really want to know, and there's almost, almost an anxiety in our discussion. We're bouncing thoughts back and forth. What do you think that meant? What do you think happened? I don't know, but you can believe this took place. And they're going back and forth, and it's an intense discussion, and all of a sudden, here appears this guy. They don't know who he is, and he comes up and walks along with them. And it's interesting when Jesus says to them, you know, what are you guys talking about? You can almost see Cleopas. He says, looks at this guy and he realizes we're all headed from Jerusalem. There's nothing else back there but Jerusalem. And it had been Passover when all the Jews went to Jerusalem. And he looks at this guy and says, it's re- paraphrasing, what, what's wrong with you? If they said, duh, back then, he'd have probably said, duh. What do you think we're talking about? 
We're talking about Jesus the Nazarene and all that took place with his arrest and his crucifixion. And they start going into details of what had taken place. These two guys or gal and guy, whoever they were, they were eyewitnesses. And they're saying, where were you? And as you read the story, if you're familiar with Luke's writing, Luke writes pretty intellectually, but not here. It's almost confusing. You can see it's like you or I would be when we can't quite think straight. We're talking, but it doesn't all bend together. It's kind of he jumps here and jumps here. And oh yeah, it was the third day. And then these crazy women and then these other guys. And they're back and forth and back. And they're just like, what is going on? And at the same time, sad and gloomy, despondent with all that had taken place. And Jesus just responds to me. He says, what things are you talking about? How many of you know Jesus knew exactly what things they were talking about? He's not fooled here for a second. What things? And ironically, the only person in that threesome that knew what had happened in Jerusalem was Jesus. The other two really didn't have much of a clue what had taken place. They were the eyewitnesses, but they had no idea. All they knew is they were confused, despondent, and hopeless. They had had expectations. These two were full of natural knowledge because they'd been there and seen it, but they had no spiritual insight whatsoever. They did not get it. They were confused, to say the least. And then, recapping the events, they, Jesus tells them, you know, what, what, what are you talking about? And they go into, well, there was this Jesus the Nazarene, as I said. And, and then they say, say something that's kind of insightful for us. It says, you know, he was a prophet, mighty in power, mighty in deeds, mighty in works among all men. Wait a minute. Prophet? He was the Messiah, the Christ. That's who he was. But they didn't get it. They were still in their natural mind. And because of what happened... Boy, we'd better not have been the Messiah or we're, our goose is cooked because they killed him. And we don't even know where he is. They're saying he's alive, but nobody's seen him. How do we know what the truth really is? They had been expecting. They, they, they had this but in their explanation. But we had hoped the source of their despair We had hoped that he was the Messiah who was going to redeem all of Israel. Oh, we had hoped. There was excitement in the whole nation. Man, just a week ago, the crowds were screaming and hollering, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us as he's riding this little donkey into town. We had hoped. Some had walked away from everything to follow this man because we had hoped. But now they're just describing him as the prophet from Nazareth. And even the reality, the fact that they were in that room, in that house, when the women came back with this report, Jesus is alive. We saw angels and they told us Jesus is alive. Now, it'd be fun to imagine that conversation that followed that. Just ignore them. They're hurting. They're grieving. Wishful thinking. They're just talking nonsense. But Peter and, and John ran to the tomb 
and checked it out. And these two guys, as you read the story, they had evidently been there even when Peter and John came back. Because they knew that a couple of their brethren, they said, had ran down to the tomb and found it just like it was. They had seen all this, they'd experienced all this, they'd known all this, and yet they were on their own Emmaus road of despair, dejection, hopelessness, confusion. But they didn't see Jesus. Here he is walking with them. Can you imagine? Walking beside Jesus. Talking with Jesus and not knowing who he is. It's hard to imagine. Especially when they could actually see him with their natural eyes. But he walks with us and talks with us no less than he did with them. And it's amazing how even yet today so few of us see him. Recognize him for who he really is. When we're in our Emmaus Road experience, when we're in that dark place. Jesus responds to them, and, and, and in the translation, it's, it sounds like such a strong word, but it says, you fools. Now, there is a word in the Greek that it's almost a word of hostility that sometimes is translated fools, but here it's not that same word. Here it's like, you slow of understanding. You don't get it. You know, so Jesus is saying, you guys, you don't get it. What is wrong with you? Open your hearts. You're slow to understand. It's slow to open your hearts. And then he says in verse 25, as you're reading it, he says, you foolish men, slow of hearts. And then he says this, to believe in all that the prophets have said. You can just zip right past that phrase, if you just, but if you stop and think about it for a second, these guys believed a lot of what the prophets said. They were looking for the Messiah. They knew he was supposed to come. He knew they were, they knew they were going to be, this was going to be amazing, and that he was coming to redeem Israel. But Jesus is saying, well, then why don't you believe all of it? That's a challenge for us. Most of us know some of the Word of God. Most of us know quite a bit of the Word of God. We even believe some of it. As long as we're not in an Emmaus experience and we begin to forget just what he promises us, just who he says he is, just what he says he will do through us and, and in us. We forget that he will provide. We forget that he is our protector. He, we forget all those things. It's like, come on, let's go with the whole Bible. Believe it all. And Jesus is saying to them, why don't you believe all that the prophets had to say? And then he goes on and he says this. It was necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things to enter into his glories. In some of the translations, it says, ought not the Messiah have died like this? In other words, he's saying, wasn't there a whole bunch of evidence in the Old Testament that this was going to happen? Wasn't it absolutely necessary for this to happen that prophecy would be fulfilled? It was necessary. These necessary things here were all foretold. And that's why he's saying, why didn't you grab hold of what all the prophets had to say? Why was it predicted? Why was it necessary that it should occur like, that should occur like this? There was no other way for God's justice to be met. There was no other way for him to honor his law. It was the way that was necessary to secure, with due regard, the government that he had established with his people Israel, 
And it was the only way that he could pardon the guilty, you and me. And Jesus is just challenging him. What's wrong? Why do you think Jesus asked them, what are you guys talking about? Like I said, he, he knew, right? I believe God asks us those things so we'll search our own hearts. So we discover our own truth coming from the word of God. That truth that fits in our situation. Then when they get to Emmaus, they've walked seven miles. We don't know how, how much of that trek was with Jesus, but a significant part. And what does Jesus do? They get to the house, and you can kind of imagine them saying, well, we're here now. And Jesus, for whatever he did, it just says in there, he acted as if he was going to continue and down the road. And it says they urged him strongly. No, please, come and stay with us. And then it says, well, come and stay with us because it's almost dark. I think that was a really convenient excuse because they wanted him to come and stay with them. A little while later he says, wasn't there something burning in our hearts when we were listening to him? As he opened up the Scriptures and told us all there was about the, the Messiah, about himself. As he revealed all of this to us as we're walking. But I think it's really significant for us to see that Jesus wasn't going to force himself into their home. He wasn't going to force himself into their life. These two insignificant people are walking with Jesus, being taught with Jesus, the resurrected Lord. And he waited for an invitation. And you notice when you read the story, there was no hemming and hawing when the invitation was extended. You know how sometimes someone says, oh, why don't you come on over for dinner? No, that's okay. We're okay. We're going to go eat here. No, please, come over. And you go back and forth and back and forth and whatever that's all about. I'm hungry. Thank you. You know, but Jesus waited for the invitation, wasn't going to force himself into anybody's life, but the moment they asked, he said, yes, I will come and sup with you. What a wonderful picture for us. We need to understand both sides of that thing. He is not going to force himself into anyone's life. He's not going to override anyone's self-will. But at the very same time, he is right there waiting and ready for you to invite him and he will immediately respond and come into your life. Immediate response. And when he reclined at the table... In other words, when they sat down at the table to eat, they had Jesus in their house, Jesus at their table, and they still didn't get it. They still didn't know. And then he took the bread, and we picked up the bread and broke it, and began to bless it, and began to hand it to him. It's like all of a sudden, the, the scales from their eyes were gone, their mind, their understanding, all of a sudden, it was like it clicked. Can you imagine? Try to just put yourself in that place, opening your eyes and realizing, what in the world? We've just walked with Jesus who they killed three days ago. He was buried in a tomb, and now he's raised from the dead, and he's talking to us. But before you even get any of that out of your mouth, he's gone. Vanishes, it says. He just vanished. What did they do? Look at each other and say, wow, this was some bad bread. 
Did any of this really happen? Was this our vivid imagination in our despair? No. The instant they had revelation of the truth, as soon as the truth of God was revealed to them, they immediately responded with faith. A lesson for us. Whatever Emmaus Road we're on, whatever dark place we're in, there is truth in the Word of God that will bring light to our situation. But so often, all the, when that light comes, we look at it and go, yeah, but. Maybe for them. No, we need to respond by faith. What did these two do? They just walked seven miles down a dusty path from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They'd been gone for probably three to a week at least to the Passover celebration. They're finally home. Instantly, it says, they, got, they didn't even do dishes. They got up and left and walked all the way back up the hill to Emmaus, from Emmaus to Jerusalem. Can you imagine? I bet it took a lot less time to go up the hill than it took coming down. Can you imagine the despair, the hopelessness, the confusion, all being turned into hope, wonderment, amazement. And probably I'd have been thinking, how cool must I be that he showed up to talk to me? The God of the universe, the Messiah Christ, for no reason other than he chose to, decided he wanted to talk to me. That he wanted to be with me. That he wanted to reveal himself to me in my situation. That he wanted to set me free of my doubt and my despair and my fears and my anxiety and my worry. Amazing. How important must I be to God? Exactly. That's how important you are to God. That's how important I am to God. These two people who are insignificant, we hadn't heard about them before, and we don't hear about them again when you get the end of this chapter, they're gone. And Jesus chose them. Just like he chooses us. Just like he drew us and wooed us by his Holy Spirit. Just by the way he will reveal truth to us by his Spirit when we seek him. When we ask him. When we come to him. When we forget about all the head knowledge necessarily that's out there and looking at our circumstances and say, what does the word of God say? Is there hope? Yes, there's hope. I'm a Christian. There's always hope. Is it possible to get out of the mess I'm in? Absolutely, because all things are possible with God. I'm so alone. Will there anybody ever love me? Yes, you're not alone, and he does love you. He never quit loving you. Whatever it is, when that revelation comes, we need to grab a hold of it. Run with it. I love to put my imagination in the places where those people are and their thoughts. I, I get a little heretical maybe sometimes. I don't know, but... It sure makes it more real to me to try to imagine what it would have been like. I'll bet they were running as much as they could. And when they got back there, they went right to the house where the disciples were. And they opened the door, and the way it reads, it doesn't sound like they hardly had a chance to get anything out of their mouth before they heard, it is true, Peter saw Jesus too. And you go, oh, crud, they beat me to the punchline. No, I'll bet they said, yeah, and you are going to believe what happened to us. We were just walking down the dirt, feeling miserable, hopeless, distraught, and Jesus showed up and walked us all the way home and told us the truth from the Scriptures and and showed us what we'd been missing, opened our eyes and gave us revelation. 
He came and talked. Matter of fact, he came in my house and reclined at my table and blessed my bread. And then we knew who it was. We saw Jesus. We, We saw the Messiah. We saw the one who died for us. We saw the one who sacrificed everything. The one who loves us so unbelievably much. And he's just waiting for us to invite him into our life. Not just little pieces, not just little corners of our life, but into our whole life. He wants all of me, as hard as that is to believe. He wants all of me. He wants all of you. We don't have to be ashamed of anything. We don't have to listen to those lies about guilt and condemnation. We just repent, give it all to Jesus, say, here I am, I am yours. And that's when real freedom comes. Somehow or other, the world's convinced us we do that, we lose control of our life. Well, the answer is yes, praise God, we lose control of our life. We follow the Holy Spirit, we're going to be in a good place. We walk in the will of God, we are going to be in a good place. When we are obedient, the word says, look out, here comes blessing. But there are consequences on the other side. It says, if you don't do that, guess what? The door is open. Who would want to open that door? These two people, these two disciples, had witnessed the greatest event in history. The death and resurrection of Christ. They had heard the truth of the resurrection from these women. They'd heard it from Peter and John. But they hadn't seen Jesus with their own natural eyes. When I put myself in their place, thinking all that I would have seen in the previous three, week, three days, the previous week, and then I get this report, I have a hard time looking over at my companion and saying, grab your bag, we're going home. We're going home? They just came and told us the tomb's empty. Don't you at least want to see what the rest of the story looks like? Find out who took him? Having seen all of that, they still were ready to walk away in despair. They were still ready to give up on their hopes. They were still ready to say, yeah, he was the prophet, but boy, we thought this was the guy. So they went home. You know, and the reality is, sadly, this happens all the time today. I can imagine them and wonder why we would have done what they did, but I tell you what, the real truth of the matter is all they had was the testimony of a few women and Peter, the guy who had just denied Jesus three times, and John. Here we are almost 2,000 years later. There is archaeological evidence <clears throat> that's in mountains of it that this stuff happened. There is historical evidence all over the place that this happened. Believe it or not, contrary to what scientists would try to tell you, there is scientific evidence everywhere that this really happened. The Bible that you have in your hands, if you're holding one, this book has been attacked with the greatest scrutiny any book has ever faced for nearly 2,000 years, and it's still true. 2,000 years. And if you look around this room, and if you know the people in the room with you, we have the testimony of changed lives everywhere. I was dead, but now I am alive. I was in bondage to that stuff, but I have been set free. There's testimony after testimony of testimony in here. 
And yet, just as likely, there could be someone in here who has never accepted Jesus Christ, never invited Him into their life, and they're going to walk out that door saying, these guys are nuts. We know it'll happen. It always does. The evidence is unbelievable. And yet, some reason or other, we want to say, they're crazy, I'm going to go do it on my own. You know, however well it works for you on your own, it's all going to burn and you're going to get put in a box, buried in the ground, and it's not going to count for squat. Really? Sounds like a lot of wasted effort to me. But as soon as we surrender our lives to Christ, take on this attitude of doing things for the glory of God as best we're able in our humanity. We're going to mess up. But as soon as we do that, We're adding jewels to our crown in heaven. Rewards in heaven are accumulating for us. And one day, we're going to stand before Jesus and hear, well done, good and faithful servants. What is that worth to us? As I look back at that story, I connect with this insignificant people being significant in God's eyes. That he went out of his way for those two, just like he goes out of his way for us. Just as he walked with those through their Emmaus Road experience, when we're in our Emmaus Road experience, he has promised in accordance with his word, he will never leave you nor forsake you. I like that a lot. Because sometimes there's nothing left in me. And that's a good place. It's a good place. I had someone say something to me this week in a meeting, one-on-one meeting, and and they said, I came here because some people said I should come and talk, and I came hoping you'd make me a stronger person. It really impacted me. She said, but that's not what you're doing, is it? You're trying to make me weaker. So God is my strength. Boy, I never even thought of it that cool. But it was like, yeah, that's it. When I am weak, he is strong. When I'm weak, when we surrender, he's always ready to give us strength and hope by his Holy Spirit. Always. All we have to do is open our minds as the Holy Spirit prompts us. Open our minds to receive the truth. Believe what the Word of God says and have the guts to claim it for yourself because that's who it's for. The promises in here are for His children and that's us that have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, I hate to tell you this, but they're not for you. But as soon as you invite him in and surrender your life, they all become yours. Life, new life in Christ, available to all, free to us. It costs Jesus everything. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you and praise you that even in the dark times we have hope in Jesus Christ. Father, you joined them and walked on the road with them. You didn't remove the road. 
but you are there giving hope and strength. God, you give us hope, you give us strength. God, forgive us, I pray, when we, when we try to do these things in our own strength, that we think somehow, somehow we know better, or somehow we know how. God, forgive us for our pride. Lord, I thank you and rejoice in the Easter story. I rejoice for the truth that we sang about this morning, that Jesus Christ is alive and well, that the tomb is empty, that the Holy Spirit was sent to live and dwell in each one of us as your children as believers. God, what a joy. What a joy. What a, what a hope it is. What an encouragement it is to know that there is a destiny for every single one of us, no matter how insignificant we think we are. That we are your children. And I know none of my children are insignificant to me. And we're not insignificant to you. So I pray, Lord, if there would be anybody here this morning who's never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, today would be the day. Give grace to respond. Lord, and and for the rest that have, Lord, I pray that the things we looked at in your word today would encourage us and strengthen us. God, it would build our confidence and build our faith in you as we look into your word. Give us revelation in greater, greater ways of the truths. Lord, we pray that all of these things would be accomplished to bring you glory and honor. We just rejoice in the Easter message. Rejoice in the hope that we have because of it. Lord, I pray you would go before us this, this day and this week. God, that we would truly be your hands and feet. That we would go as a testimony of your resurrection power. Living out the new life that we have in Christ. Again, Lord, we ask that this would all be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.